Thank you for being here with us and worshiping. Um, I am a little hoarse, but that is from upward, um, yelling from the sideline like most coaches. And uh, so that is all right. We're in the throes of upward, and I will uh, try my best to get through. But if you open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 9. This is um, in the book of Philippians. This is uh, one of those uh, sections that usually finds its way into people's memory. It's one of those texts that we uh, are pretty familiar with. It might be something, like I said, you've memorized or something you've uh, hidden away in your heart because of how encouraging it is. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the pathway of peace from Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Now, last week, if you were here, you'll, you'll know back in Philippians 4, 2, and 3, Paul was dealing with a conflict between Euodia and Syntyche. And now, having dealt with that conflict... Paul now turns his attention to living with the peace of God as individuals in community together. Obviously, Paul wanted Euodia and Syntyche to experience not only the peace of God as individuals, but also in relation to one another. The truth is, if we are united in Christ together in faith, right? We are united together in Christ by faith, and we're united in mission together as we take the gospel to the nations, and we're united in eternity together, having our names written in the book of life, and our salvation is safe and secure forever, then we should, if those things are true, experience the present peace of God in our souls and in our relationships. Now, as we think about this concept of peace, I want you to know that it has rich Old Testament roots. The word peace is the, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. In fact, the word is so important, um, the word shalom, it has been the typical Jewish greeting for centuries. If you were to go to Israel, they would greet you not with hello, they would greet you with shalom, the peace of God. In fact, the, the word Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the name means city of peace. Now, here's the truth. The greatest need, the reason that's so prevalent in, in, our, in Jewish heritage, is that the, con, the, 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 the reason this is so prevalent is because the greatest need of the human heart, the greatest need of the human heart is to find peace with God. Now we know that because of our sin, our sin that separates us from the peace of God. We were created to be in a loving, peace-filled, and peaceful covenant relationship with God. But we all know the story that because of the fall, instead of peace with God, we chose enmity with God. And the story of the gospel is the story of how sinful people can ultimately find peace with God. And a peace with God that ultimately pours over into peace with other people. If you were to read Ephesians, at the end, of, the end of Ephesians 2, you would see that that's Paul's entire argument there, that when you come to Christ and you find peace with God, you will ultimately find peace with other people. And this morning, we're going to see how peace matters to the church at Philippi. Look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Look what Paul says there. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his text. I want to give you three, three sections as we work through this, but I want you to notice first the promise of peace. Look there at verse 7 and at verse 9. Look, for, look, for, look at verse 7. It says this. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice the word and at the beginning of that phrase. And the peace of God. Now look at, verse, at the end of verse 9. He says there, And the peace of God will be with you. These are, these are the promises of peace. But the question is, what kind of peace is God promising to the Philippians and to us? What kind of peace is this? I want to tell you three qualifiers here, or three descriptions. First, it is a divine peace. It is a divine peace. Paul says that this is the peace of God. This isn't peace between nations. This isn't peace between co-workers, or peace between friends, or peace between spouses, or peace between Huntington and McKenzie. This is the peace of God, the very shalom of God. This is the kind of peace that only God can give. It is a divine peace. It is, um, this is the inward peace of the soul that can only come from God. You can't get it from anywhere else. As Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It could be said another way. This means our hearts aren't at peace until we have God's peace. So first, it's a divine peace that only comes from God. You can't find it from anywhere else. Second, it's the peace that surpasses understanding. Now what this means is that it is a peace that cannot be explained apart from God. You can't explain it from any other source. The only explanation for the presence of this peace in the midst of every circumstance, it can only be explained by speaking of God. You can't speak of it as a peace that came from my doctor at the report I, get, I, I received, or the peace that came from having financial stability in the midst of a tumultuous market, or the peace that comes from this or that. No, no, no. This is a peace that surpasses rational understanding because it cannot be explained apart from God. But third, notice that it's a peace that does something. Paul says there that it's a peace that sets a garrison, a guard around our hearts and minds. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what this is, is this divine peace leads to a settled disposition of the soul. I'm being very careful here. I want you, I'm trying to describe this peace to you. This divine peace leads to a settled disposition of the soul that rests 
and trust in God. That's what it does. This peace leads you to resting and trusting in God. Listen, though everything else around you, no, everything else around you tells your mind and your heart to panic. Everything in your mind says to panic. Everything in your heart says this is out of control. This is out of my hands. Everything in me says to panic and run to a lie, to disbelieve and distrust God. This divine peace is a settled disposition from God that says, no, God's, God is guarding my heart and my mind right now to rest in Him. That's the kind of peace God promises here. God's peace that guards our minds from falsehoods that would seek to take us captive and guards our hearts from losing hope. It's a divine peace guarding our hearts and minds. And it's a promise of God Himself. Notice the promise that the peace of God will do this. And then in verse 9, He says, and the God of peace Himself will be with you. God promises not only to send his peace, he comes with it. He's coming himself into the situation to bring it. So the first thing we have here is the promise of peace. But secondly, notice the principles of peace. There are principles at work here. There are three principles here that lead us toward a greater experience of God's peace. You have to have these principles at play in your life. You have to live by these principles in order to experience God's peace in the way that Paul is describing. Here are those three principles. First, unqualified rejoicing. You can write that down. Unqualified rejoicing. Look there at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Notice that little word always. You know what always means? It means always. That's what it means. You rejoice in the Lord always. That means that there is no qualification for rejoicing. I only rejoice when something is going good. I only rejoice when the market is up. I only rejoice when nobody in my family has an issue. No. Paul says here that there is no time where rejoicing in Christ is not appropriate. Listen, there is no circumstance for the believer where we are found, hear me, this is why you can rejoice always. There is no circumstance or time in your life when you are outside of Christ. When you are outside of His presence. Outside of His love. Outside of His blessing. Outside of His grace. If those things are true, then joy should permeate our lives. We are always under Christ's care and compassion and under His grace and mercy. And we will never be separated from Him. There's nothing in this life, neither death nor life nor angels or principalities, height or depth or anything in all of creation will separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And because of that, I come to each circumstance understanding that I have to have an attitude of praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing. Listen. And this is why joy permeates every section of Philippians. Look back at verses 2.18. In chapter 2, verse 18, Paul says, rejoice and be glad. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And now here in chapter 4, Paul repeats it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, here, here is why, here's why this is so important. 
we are called as believers to find our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction in Christ. That's where we go to find it. We value Him above all else. So here's my question. How can you hope to enjoy the peace of Christ if He doesn't have the first place in your life? What that means is, whatever you have in the first place in your life is what you worship. And that's where you go to find peace. If it's not Jesus, is it any wonder that you don't daily experience the peace of Christ? You're looking for it in the wrong place. You have to come to Jesus. If, if, if you are looking for it and expecting it from someone or something else, they can't actually give it to you. Paul says in Ephesians 2, Christ himself is our peace. So listen, if you're looking for peace somewhere else, you're not going to find it. The first principle is you have to have unqualified rejoicing in Jesus. The second principle is this. You have to have relational gentleness towards others. Relational gentleness towards others. Look at verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's writing this right after he, after he talks about a conflict between Euodia and Syntyche. He's like, y'all need to be, let your reasonableness, your gentleness towards each other be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Jesus is going to return and it won't matter then. You'll be ashamed then. Now some translations use the word temperance here. Let your temperance be known to everyone. Some translate it moderation. The NIV uses the word gentleness. Or others use gentle spirit. So here is the truth. You cannot have peace with God while at the same time destroying the peace of others. You have to have relational gentleness towards others. If you have peace with God, that's going to issue itself in peace towards other people. We need relational gentleness towards, towards each other. Peace with God leads to peace with others. So, Paul says, peace accompanies us as we seek to live with gentleness towards others. So here's, here's, let me say this another way. You cannot be a person of peace and be a, and be a person of quarreling and fighting at the same time. If you want the peace of God, you have to have first unqualified rejoicing and your gentleness has to be known to everyone. If you're the person that when they, others see you coming, they go, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? How harsh are they going to be? How are they going to come down with me? Then you're not living with the daily presence of God's peace. And the issue is you're not living by this principle of relational gentleness towards other people. Third, the third principle is confident and consistent praying before God. The third principle is confident and consistent praying toward God. Look there at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. So we can't be anxious. That's a command. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every circumstance, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So the next principle of peace is found in the discipline of prayer. Not just any kind of prayer. Not just any kind of prayer. Notice what kind of prayer this is. This is the kind of prayer that is filled with thanksgiving towards God. The kind of prayer that is 
confident of God's goodness, confident of God's graciousness towards you in Christ, the kind of confidence that allows you to come near to Him and cast your cares on Him because you are sure that He cares for you. It's a confident and consistent praying. It's the kind of confidence that keeps your heart from anxiety and worry. Did you know that God's remedy for anxiety and worry is by finding peace and rest in trusting Him in each and every circumstance? It's drawing near to Him in prayer. It's drawing near to Him saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't know everything there is, but my heart is settled to find peace in You. I'm not going to find it anywhere else. John says this. Listen to what John says in 1 John. This is what John says about praying confidently. Uh, 1 John 5, he says, This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. And sorry, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that we should come boldly to the throne of grace, that we can obtain the grace we need for each day. These are the principles of peace. My question is, are, is, are these three things active in your life? Do you have unqualified rejoicing, relational gentleness towards others, and a discipline of prayer where you are confident and consistent in coming before Him to cast your cares on Him? And that brings me finally to my last point, the practice of peace. You notice we've had the promise of peace. Paul says... If these principles are present, you have the promise of peace. The God of peace will be with you. The peace of God, which will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, will be with you. But now notice the practice of peace. Look there at verse 8 and 9. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now notice here that Paul connects right thinking and right practices. Right thinking and right practices with knowing and experiencing God's peace. That if you want to experience God's peace, there has to be right thinking and the right practice of these principles. He says that there are certain thoughts that should fill our minds and there are right actions and behaviors to be practiced. Then the God of peace will be with you. So here's the question. How should we think? What should be the life of our mind in Christ Jesus? Paul lists here seven qualities, seven virtues that are God-honoring and Christ-exalting that should fill our hearts and minds. He says there, first, we're to think of the things that are, number one, true. What that means is things that are trustworthy and dependable, not things that are false, not things that lead our mind toward unbelief, but things that lead our mind towards greater faith in Christ. Second, we're to think of things that are honorable. This means things that are worthy of respect, things that are noble and good. 
fill our minds with things that are honorable. Third, he says things that are just. This means to think on the things that treat God and others rightly. I should not think of things that demean God, dishonor God, or think of things that mistreat other people. Fourth, things that are pure. Now this is closely related to the word for holiness. This means we're to think of the things that are undefiled and good in relation to God. Fifth, things that are lovely. Things that draw love out of us. Not things that draw out anger. If there are things that are causing you to anger, don't dwell and think on these things. Think on things that instead draw love out of you. That cause you to respond in love. Verse 6, things that are commendable. This means things that are admirable and attractive to us that we can commend to others. And seventh, things that are excellent. Things that are morally excellent and worthy of praising God for. Now here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we must think on the things for which we can praise God. Dwell on the things. Fill up our minds upon the things that we can praise God. Now, here's the application you have to make sure you guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. You have to protect your thoughts. Paul says he takes every thought captive for Christ. We must not allow our thought life, hear me, you must not allow your thought life to be determined and controlled by the world. If you watch the news 24 hours a day, I can tell you what kind of thought life you're going to have. Your mind is going to be filled with everything the news says your mind should be filled with. Anger about this, upset about this, outrage about this, horror about this. You cannot let the world determine the way you think. You have to come to God's word and say, Lord, I'm going to fill my mind with the things that are true and honorable and just and noble and commendable and bring love out of me instead of anger. That means we have to learn to put these principles into practice. Now, now that we know how to think, the next question is, well, then how then should we live? We have to correct our thinking, and then out of that, it should change the way we behave. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. This is the practice of these principles. Paul turns, again, to his example that he set for the Philippians. So what, we've, what they've learned in the gospel from Paul, what they've received by faith and believe, what they've heard from him, seen in him, those are the things they should do. Look back at verses chapter 3, verse 14. Just turn back a page, chapter 3, verse 14. Look what Paul says there. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, this is interesting. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us be true to what we have obtained. And then... He says, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, we've given you godly examples to follow. So this means we have to put the principles that we learn into practice. Now hear, hear me, this is going to be simple, elementary style. Children, listen, I'm going to speak in a way that you can hear and understand. It's not enough to simply think about these principles. You have to put them into practice. If you spend all of your money, here's a simple, here's, let me give you some simple examples. If you spend all of your money, you won't have any. 
If you don't consistently save, then you won't have any money saved. Now, you might know that to be true, but if you don't save any money, you won't have any. You have to put the truth of the principle into practice. Listen, I've heard this my whole life from my parents. As Adrian Rogers said it, if your output is greater than your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. It's a simple principle of economics, but you have to practice it. Okay, You can know that to be true, but if you don't apply it and act upon it, then you won't be on the path to greater financial peace and independence. The same is true in sports. You can know the skills needed to excel in any sport. You can know that in basketball you have to dribble, pass, and shoot. But if you don't work on those skills and you don't practice them and apply them, then you won't experience the ability to play at the level of those who actually put those principles into practice. That is the truth of it. That's what Paul is getting at here. If you know the promise of peace that God has made, God has made the promise and the God of peace will be with you. He's made the promise. If you know the principles that undergird the promise, unqualified rejoicing, relational gentleness, the discipline of prayer, and you, pr and you fail to practice those things that put you on the pathway to peace, then you won't experience God's peace because you're not practicing the principles that lead to peace. That's a lot of P words. But here it is in a nutshell. Let me summarize it all in one simple statement. You're like, Jacob, why didn't you start with that? Because I like to be difficult, okay? I like to be complicated. Here, is, here it is in a nutshell. One sentence. God's peace is for those who order their lives around God's will. That's it. If you order your life around God's will, you will experience peace day by day. If you're not experiencing God's present and abiding peace, then ask yourself, are you practicing daily God's principles? Are you rejoicing, praying with thankfulness, living in gentleness? Are you filling your mind with God-honoring thoughts? Now, now let me close. This is my closing. As I close, let me say, I want you to hear me with everything I have. I've addressed this, everything I've addressed this morning is only for believers. This is only for believers. Believers have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And now we live in such a way to experience the daily presence of God's peace through Christ. We live in peace with God with one another as we submit to God's spirit and his word. But if you're not a believer, you need to hear this. Before anyone can have the peace of God, they must have peace with God. Did you hear me? Before you can have the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. And that only comes through laying down your life before Christ. Paul said in Romans 5 that Pastor Nick read earlier that those who have come to Christ, he says that those who've come to Christ, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Christ Jesus. So if you're outside of Christ, then you are not at peace with God. Romans 5 goes on to say that those who are outside of Christ are enemies of God who are under his wrath for sin. The only way to experience God's peace is to come to him through Christ. The famous pastor D.M. Lloyd-Jones, he used this illustration to help people understand that, that before you can have the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. He says, quote, if you are anxious to obtain 
some benefits from the Queen of England. So if you want the Queen of England to give you things and be nice to you, if you want the Queen of England, if you want access to the Queen of England and everything the Queen of England could do, to you, do for you, he says, if you're anxious to obtain some benefits from the Queen of England, the first thing you have to discuss is, how can I get into Buckingham Palace? Because that's where the Queen is. What have I got to do to get admission? Then, how do I approach this great Queen? He says, it is too obvious in that realm and yet we pay no attention to this when we're seeking blessings from God. He says we think about that when we go to see the queen or the president, but we don't think about that when it comes to God. He says we have to go to God and expect to get all we... He says what we do is we go to God and expect to get all we ask for at once. But that is not possible. All blessings come from God to us through Jesus Christ. And we must first... Be at peace with God. And so the thing is, if you're not a believer, you can't experience the peace of God because you're not at peace with God. I'll close with this little story. Back when we lived in Olive Branch, years ago, me and Kelly, when I was in seminary, um, my pastor and I, we would, we would go witnessing um, weekly together. And there was a gentleman there who owned a laundromat. And we would go in and share the gospel with him. And he was in his mid-70s. He was an older gentleman. And we had witnessed to him for months and months and months. And finally came the time when he just came to his wit's end. And he was broken over his sin. And he knew that on judgment day when he stood before God, he was lost. And so on that glorious day, he, we were there with him. And he right there, bowed his knee, and he cried out to Jesus for mercy. And let me tell you, everything about that man changed in that moment. His countenance completely changed. And when he stood up from his knees, my pastor says, what, what is going on right now? And he says, for the first time in my life, I have peace. For the first time in my life, I have peace. The peace that only God can give. The peace that knows that when I stand before God, everything's okay. Because Jesus has stood in my place. And my, my, my question to you this morning is, if you don't know that kind of peace, then you need to come to Jesus and experience what it means to know that your sins are forgiven. And that when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, if you don't wake up in the morning, you know everything's going to be just fine. Because I'll wake, I'll awake seeing my Savior. We're going to have a time of invitation so first, if you're not a believer, I ask you to come to Jesus. And if you are a believer, I ask you, are you experiencing God's daily peace? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would draw near to us now as we have opened your word. And Father, we now ask for the peace that surpasses knowledge to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we rejoice in you, cast our cares upon you, trusting you day by day because of your goodness and grace found in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.